Let's celebrate being at church together today. You made it. So glad that you're here. Online family, we love you. Uh, make sure you type in the chat where you're watching from. And we're so glad that you're with us as well today. You guys, we are in a series of talks uh, called The Deeper Life Through Sexuality. And so if you're brand new, welcome to church. It's going to be a great day. And uh, we are uh, having, I think, some deep, important conversation right now. And this is really a, a, a season that we're in as a church called The Deeper Life. And coming into the fall, we just really felt like God was saying that He has more for us. And here's my question. Do you think that God has more for you today? Like as you show up to church, do you believe that there's something for you? And I, I want you to know that that posture will make all the difference as you show up today. If you are fully present and fully here, I'm trusting God's going to speak to you today. And so I'm, I'm excited about where we're going today uh, in a challenging but important topic. And so if you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to start with this text. And this will, I think, really be a foundational verse as we get into the content here today. God's word says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing Perfect. This is God's word for us today. So I remember uh, a few years ago, the first time I sat down with somebody from the transgender community. It was a friend of mine that I've been getting to know at church, and when I sat down with them at this coffee shop, they shared two things that really hit me in the heart. Uh, The first thing they said was, I can't believe you would meet me here. Uh, Just surprised. They said, I know what you do. I know you're a pastor. People know you, so I'm I'm actually shocked that you would sit down across a table from me. The second thing they said and shared over the course of the next few minutes was that their journey of sexuality has been the most excruciatingly painful thing they have ever been through in their entire lives. More recently, I was traveling, uh, flew into Seattle and came off the airplane. And I don't know about you guys, but I go into a zone when I'm traveling. If you see me in the airport, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just like in a different world. I put in my AirPods and I'm, you know, listening to a podcast. So I come off the airplane, I'm typing on my phone, and I thought I need to find a restroom. And so I came around the corner, I saw a sign, I walk in while I'm texting, and I I look up and I'm surrounded by women. Like, I'm in the wrong restroom. And so I'm like, oh no, and I walk out and I I, I, I look up, oh, there's another one. I walk down, and I'm texting, and I walk into that restroom, and I, I look up, and I'm surrounded by more women. They're everywhere, and I'm like, what's, but then there's also men, and I realize, oh, I'm in a gender-neutral bathroom, and I, I just had never been in one of these before, and, and I, I just kind of stood there for a moment looking around, and there was just sort of a, like a discomfort in there, right? And I looked over as this, this man was going into a, a stall and a, another lady and probably a 12 or 13-year-old girl was over there washing their hands. And I just kind of walked out of that moment going, how did we get here? How did I get here? I mean, really, this is, <laughs> I didn't even know how I walked in there, but how did we get here? And, and, and maybe this is something that you have wondered before. And so today's message is entitled, Jesus transgender and the church. So again, welcome if you're new. It's not always this way, but these are important conversations. And if you're like, why would we go there? What's the point in all of this? Um, Doesn't this affect a, a very small percentage of the population? The answer is yes, but here's what I've learned. 
is that this specific issue has actually become the lens by which people throughout our nation view all of their sexuality. I've also learned this, that while this does affect a small portion of the population, everybody seems to have an opinion on this, as I've learned since even preaching it on Wednesday. So lots of opinions, lots of perspectives, but really the question we ask is, what is God's perspective on this? And how can we as followers of Jesus navigate these complicated times in a way that honors God? So very important thing. I want to give you some resources if you want to dig deeper. First, a couple of books. Uh, the first is called Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier. And so this is a, a bunch of the, uh, the stats and things that I've gotten have come from this book. Also Embodied, which is a book by Preston Sprinkle, a very pastoral approach to how to love people through this journey. Um, man, uh, you can also join our text Devo. We, our team has compiled some resources for you, and they can text that to you there as well. And I just want you to know, man, I am not a therapist. Let me just be real with you. I am not a therapist. I'm a pastor, but I've done a lot of reading and just study and listening to other, other uh, teachers and pastors like Tim Keller, uh, a pastor named Josh Howerton, John Tyson, and many others that I'm going like, where is information about this? Because I just felt like uh, this was something that I needed to do some deep work with. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, this has been a, a long journey for me, um, just kind of growing and learning about this topic as it has been for many of you. Also, before we get into too much of the content, I want to give you a bit of uh, some house rules, okay? So I love it when you guys say amen, by the way. I love it when you talk back. I love it when you, man, you just sense God saying, man, that's for you, and you're clapping. I'm going to encourage you not to clap and not to amen, at least until the end, okay? Uh, just so that people don't misinterpret your clapping or amening as being against them as a person, okay? Um, because that, this is certainly a very personal issue for a lot of people. Once again, we don't love ideologies and fight against people. We love people and fight against ideologies. So we want to communicate that that's God's heart and that's our heart as a church family here today. But this has been a journey for me and probably for six or seven years of learning more about this topic and just the whole LGBTQIA plus community. Um, I have watched this progression happen culturally and as we talked last week in the message, um, this has been called progress. And, and in, in some ways, I, I've seen uh, as we've moved in culture, it, it'd be called progress, but not actually be progress. Um, I've, I've gotten to know some LGBTQ people along the road, become friends with them. I've heard things like this. Uh, the reason I don't want to be a Christian is because of the way Christians treat LGBTQ people. Which, whatever your perspective is on all of those issues, if you have the heart of God, when somebody says that, you should be listening. You should go, okay, what do I have to learn? Is there an adjustment I need to make? And maybe the most important question to ask is, do I actually look like Jesus in this society and in this day and age? I've, I've talked to parents in our church who have children who are struggle, struggling with gender confusion, and I actually sat down with a a transgender friend before I wrote this sermon because I wanted to hear their perspective on all of this topic and get a sense of what, what they felt and experienced. And honestly, what has happened, I think, for a lot of people, as I talk to Christians, again, everybody's got an opinion. Uh, everybody's got a thought on this issue, is for a lot of people, this is just an issue somewhere out there, right? It's just like out there somewhere. Maybe it's something that you've lobbied against in schools. You know, maybe it's something that your teenagers have talked about as they've come home from class. 
Uh, maybe you were watching a Disney movie and saw a male character dressed as a woman and kind of had to have an interesting conversation about that. But for some of you, this isn't an issue somewhere out there. This is something that is literally in your home. This isn't just about an issue. This is about an individual. And it's real. And you love this person. And, and once again, I want to caution you as a Christian or wherever you're at, to have really strong opinions about this issue until you get to know somebody that has experienced this or has walked through this before. For some of you, this is so personal. Like, I'm really getting into your world here today because for you, maybe you're leading a group of students and, and one of them wants you to begin referring to them with a different pronoun. And you're just like, is this good? Should I do this? I want, to, I want to care for them, but I'm not sure if this is okay. Maybe your daughter has always been a bit of a tomboy, but now she's getting older, she wants you to refer to her as a boy. And you're just as a parent going, what do I what do? I, do? I don't know how to, how to love my child in this moment. Maybe well, you hear your kids talking and one of your children says, um, oh, that boy at school or something. And then the other kid corrects them and says, oh, you can't gender them. You can't make that decision for them. Maybe even this, you have a child that is struggling so deeply with this in such deep depression that somebody has told you that if they were to commit suicide, it would be your fault. So you must affirm what they feel to love them. And so I just want you to know, I know this is so personal for many people, but I want you to hear this. Transgenderism is more than a political issue. It's part of someone's life. This is not just a talking point as we come into another election year. This is part of someone's life. And so I want you to hear me today. I want to deal with this theologically, and I'm going to teach on it. This is going to be kind of feeling like class for uh, just a few minutes, and then I want to deal with it pastorally. And so uh, let's kind of go to school. Buckle up a little bit. Here, buckle up. We need to start with the basics because you can't really talk about these issues until you define the terms, right? So the first term is as basic as it gets. What does the term sex mean? People say this a lot. They talk about this a lot. Then what does it actually mean? Here is a definition from Mark Yarhouse. Sex is male or female, typically with reference to chromosomes, internal, reproductive anatomy, and external genitals. So this is what sex is. And historically, sex has been something that's been identified and not chosen. And so for you parents, this is called the it's a girl moment, right? Where you, 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 you identify, hey, this is the sex of my child. It's a girl. Or it's a boy. And we're so excited, Sex and gender have traditionally been viewed as the same thing, but in the last 50 years, and even more recently, they've been pulled apart so that sex and gender are seen as very different things. But you need to hear me. God designed the sexes, and he designed them good. Male and female, right? God designed us that way. And and maybe you've asked, like, why did God design male and female? What we know is that we're made in the image of God. We're actually made to reflect who God is to the world and to give people a sense of who God is. But, but why male and female? Why not just one sex? And, and I think there's a lot of reasons for this, but from what I've seen as I read the scriptures, what, what I see is that there is something about the heart of God that can only be seen through men and through women separately. Like as you read the scriptures, what you see is God is fatherly. He's a protector. He's a warrior. And in the next moment, God is compassionate and speaking about himself like, like, a, like a mother who is, who is caring for a child, nurturing. 
And so all I, all I know is this. I know that there are some attributes of God that can, I cannot reflect and my wife can. And there are certain attributes of God that my wife can, or that I can reflect that my wife cannot. But even in the church, what's happened is I think for a lot of Christians, in the society that we've lived in, we, we are moving towards a genderless society, a sexless society where uh, many people would say that the sexes are interchangeable. And I would just, I, I want to I tell you that this is just not the case. Uh, in fact, it kind of became uh, aware to me a few years ago. I led this study, uh, like a book study in our home for young married couples. And we went through this book called The Love and Respect Book. Has anybody ever read that before? A few of you in the room. So great book, but it talks about men and women and how to love one another. And we had, I think, 10 couples. And nine out of 10 couples hated the book. And I was like, why do you hate this book? And I realized in the conversation that what they said was, well, this book kind of makes it sound like men and women are different, and we believe that they're completely interchangeable, and that that's, that that's not okay. And I thought, interesting. So we, we actually went on a journey as a small group to unpack that idea, just even from a sociological standpoint, that, that God created man and woman, and that even the family unit needs men and women. Um, just, just from many different studies, what, what's shown is that children, when raised in a household, with, with a father and a mother, they do way better than if they were raised in a household with one mother or one father or two mothers or two fathers. This is just the basic reality is a child needs their father, they need their mother, and I know some of you single parents are crushing it, by the way. You are doing great, you're doing everything you can, but I'm just telling you that this is something God designed for us. And, and, and even if you're not a Christian, what you just have to do is look at the research and see that, man, it's very clear that both sexes were created and they are important and meant to be respected. The, sex, the, the, next, con- the, sex conversation, the next conversation, I've, I've done this twice. This is the third time. So uh, the, the next conversation in term to define is this gender identity. Gender identity. This is a person's self-perception of whether they are male or female, masculine or feminine. So this is kind of the foundation of the transgender movement, which is the movement of way away from identifying a sex toward the separation of sex and gender. So it's like sex is how you're made, but gender is how you feel. And so you might be made a certain way, but really what's being given all of the strength is how do you feel about how you're made, right? Like, Like, how do you feel about it? And so that's what's been given all of the authority is your feelings, which, can I just tell you, feelings aren't always facts, and they're, in my life, often deceptive, right? But this is kind of where we moved in society, and so gender has become something that operates uh, at a spectrum, or maybe your child has come home with something called a gender wheel, you know? So you've got like a five-year-old who doesn't know how to make chicken nuggets in the microwave, but they're being asked what their chosen gender is. And so this is kind of where we're at in our society, which has led to parents who want to respect their children, choosing to do what's called genderless parenting. Maybe you've seen this article from NBC News. Boy or girl, parents are raising babies to let their kids decide their sex. So instead of calling it a baby or it's a boy or a girl, this is a baby, and one day they will decide their sex. So this leads us to the next conversation, which is what is transgender? Okay, so sex Gender identity, what is transgender? This is an umbrella term for the many ways in which people might experience and or present and express or live out their gender identities differently from people whose sense of gender identity is congruent with their biological sex. If you're like, that sounds complicated. Let me just, 
simplify it. In other words, this means if you are a biological man, you tend to experience or express yourself as a man. If you're a biological woman, you tend to experience and express yourself as a woman, but some people who consider themselves transgender might be biologically one sex, but experience and express themselves in another. Which brings up this important question, what does it even mean to express yourself as a man or express yourself as a woman? Like, what, what even is that, right? This brings up a conversation about stereotypes. Stereotypes. What are gender stereotypes? In other words, like, here's a question. So if I'm a man who likes poetry or a woman who likes to work on cars, does that mean I'm transgender? Because what we're seeing in this movement today is a lot of different stereotypes. We live in a society that would say there should be no stereotypes, right? Men and women should be able to uh, express themselves however they want. And yet when it comes to this very specific issues, what we're seeing is that gender stereotypes are actually being reinforced. I'll give you an example. Behind me is a screen with uh, the color blue and the color pink or red on the left side. We'll say pink, right? Blue and pink. Now traditionally, you can talk back to me, uh, which sex tends to wear the color blue? Boys. Which sex tends to wear the color pink? Girls. Okay, so that's kind of like, we tend to think this is the stereotype, although it's not in every situation, but that's the stereotype in our world today. But I was reading an article uh, from a 1927 Time magazine that said that the color that girls should wear is blue because it's more masculine, or because it's more feminine, and the color that boys should wear is pink because it's more masculine. In a June 1918 article from the Earnshaw's Infant Department Store, they said this, the generally accepted rule is pink for the boys and blue for the girls. The reason that is that pink being a more decided and strong, in color, strong color is more suitable for the boy, while blue, which is more delicate and dainty, is prettier for the girl. Some of your minds just went, Poof. you're like, what? How could this be? Are we living in a parallel universe? No, like this is, you know, a hundred years ago, this is what it was, is that blue was for girls and pink was for boys, and that was generally understood, and, and now it's kind of flip-flopped. In other words, stereotypes always change, don't they? In fact, even the Bible breaks all kinds of gender stereotypes, right? You got like David, who likes to, you know, write poetry and weeps all the time, and you got like Deborah, who's a political leader, and you got Jesus who's walking around in something that probably looks more like a dress than a pair of Carhartts, to be honest. If we saw him today, we'd be like, oh, that's a little feminine, right? So stereotypes are always changing, but sex never does. And through the transgender movement, what we're seeing is they're not breaking gender stereotypes, they're actually reinforcing them. So let's say like a man is sensitive, he's into the arts and music and doesn't like sports and likes to talk about his feelings. You know, what does that make him? That makes him me, by the way. That's me. Like, I don't like sports. Talk about my feelings. You know, like, that's just kind of, that's who I am. Let's say there's a woman who loves hunting and welding and is a protector and likes to eat steak and watch MMA. What does that make her? Alaskan. That makes her from Alaska. That's right. <laughs> so, again, it doesn't mean anything specifically about them. Stereotypes will change, but gender and sex are established by God. Hear me on this. The world thinks gender should be deconstructed, but Christians see it as something that is designed. 
It's something that God made. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, God created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Listen, God designed you and what he made is good. What he made is good. So we have to begin with that. And again, if you're here and you're like, Brian, I think this is just a mess. I don't agree with you at all. That's fine, but, but you've got to come back to the reality. Like, do you believe in what God says? Do you trust that God is good and holy? If you don't, then I get why you disagree with me. But if you're a follower of Jesus, your heart should be, what is God's design and how do I align myself with that? That is always the heart of someone who wants to follow God because he's a good God who made you a certain way in order to flourish. God's design always leads to health. The next concept to discuss is this. It's gender dysphoria. This is the sense of a mismatch between physical sex, the body, and psychological gender, the mind. And what you need to know is this. Dysphoria is a real psychological diagnosis, okay? This isn't just something that's been made up by the liberals. If you're thinking like, oh, this is just a thing. No, no, this is an actual diagnosis. In fact, um, I was reading about something called body integrity dysphoria, uh, which some people struggle with this, where they will look at something like their hand, their very hand, and they'll think, that is not my hand, to the point that people have li- literally severed their limbs off. This is, a dis- this is a psychological disorder that they're going, I feel like this isn't correct, this isn't me. So gender dysphoria is a lot like that. The people that I know that are part of the transgender community, many have described themselves that way, that they would say, I, I wake up and I look at myself in the mirror and I'm just like, I feel like that's not me. And I'm telling you what, I can't relate to that personally. I've never been there in that way. But that is how it feels. Maybe you're wondering... Uh, who and how many people are affected by gender dysphoria? Currently, males with gender dysphoria make up 0.005 to 0.014% of the population. Females with gender dysphoria make up 0.002 to 0.003% of the population. Now, here's what's really important that you understand. Currently, in a survey that was done amongst young adults, 5% of young adults say that their gender is different than their sex. So the question you should be asking is, how do we get from 0.005% to 5% of the population? And what you're going to start to see, and this is something that I, I've noticed just uh, in our society and, and even in our church and in our culture, I'm seeing this movement that transgenderism isn't only something people experience, it has actually become a movement, Okay? And there are two afflictions that people I see are currently afflicted by. The first is actual confusion. They are actually confused. This is a real thing. They are dealing with gender dysphoria. They wake up in the morning completely uh, struggling with their sex and with their gender and the, the disconnect and the incongruency between what their, what their body says and how their mind views their body. And this is a real thing, and can we just... Just at, at a baseline, say if somebody is suffering, we should give them compassion. As, as people, that's just what we do. As God's people, it's definitely what we do. But there's another affliction that people are dealing with today, and it's not confusion, it's contagion. That this, is, this has become something that is, it's not just an idea, but like I saw in the airport, 
with the bathroom, what, what, I, what I noticed in that moment was that this is very intentionally designed. L- like, I would call it architectural discipleship done by whoever designed the airport. And that, that the message that they're sending is your sex is interchangeable, and there is no real intentional difference between man and woman in any way, and so please, everybody, all people, no matter where you've come from or what you struggle with, should should share the bathroom, right? So this is the the message, the discipleship that's happening in our culture, and once again, as a pastor, my, my heart is this, man, we have got to be louder with the truth than the world is with a lie. We've got to speak louder about what God says than, than the world does with what is not true. There is a real contagion that exists today in people who have literally made themselves evangelists for the transgender movement. And they have TikTok ca- accounts and thousands of books have been written and they have YouTube accounts. And this is their whole purpose is to expand this movement and to invite your teenagers, our teenagers, and people around us into this movement. And so again, it's, here's the thing that people struggle with. So I was talking with somebody who is transgender about this, and they were like, I, I, I hate the contagion. I said, why do you hate the contagion? And they said, I hate the contagion because what it does is it minimizes what I actually struggle with, right? Imagine if you deal with PTSD, and all of a sudden, people on TikTok are like, hey, I've got PTSD. Do you have PTSD? Let's all have PTSD. That's great. And it becomes this movement in society. You'd feel a little disrespected by that. But this is kind of what's happening today is people have made themselves evangelists and it is working. Because now 5% of the population of young adults would say, hey, I'm part of that. And, and you've got to have some compassion even for our teenagers. Imagine like you're a 13-year-old girl. You look at your body in the mirror and you're just like, I am very uncomfortable, right? Because that's how it's going to feel. Or a 15-year-old boy who looks at himself in the mirror and he's like, I'm uncomfortable with my body. And then you look on, this, on TikTok or YouTube and you see this person who calls themselves transgender and they are celebrated. And people love them. And they have a, a whole group of people who they're, 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 they're fighting this fight with. And, and now, you know, you can come out as transgender and now all of a sudden, like, you're part of this thing. And there's a lot of draw because of just the, the desires within everybody's heart to belong and be loved toward this contagion that exists in the world today. So the question I think we should ask as Christians is how do we begin to think about this war between mind and body? Is this just a thing that's been made up as a political talking point, or is this a real thing that happens? And once again, where do we go? To the Bible, right? To the Scriptures. Romans chapter 7 says this, verse 22, or 21, we'll start off. It says, so this is the principle I have discovered. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my, let's say this word all together, in my body. Warring against the law of my, let's say this together, my mind. And holding me captive to the law of sin that dwells within me. There it is in the scriptures, right? Paul himself says, I've got this battle that I'm fighting. It's like there's war between my mind and my body. And what overwhelmed me as I was studying this over the past few weeks is that this isn't just the fight for people who are part of the transgender community. This is everyone's fight. This is everyone's fight. Have you ever in the room had a war between your mind and your body? Have you ever been like, this is how God designed me, yet this is what I want to do? 
all the Christians in the room should say yes, right? Uh, this is all of us, right? There's things that you want to do and you don't do. And there's things that you don't want to do and you do. This is what Paul continues to talk about in the scriptures is this war that exists. And so do you know that we all suffer from a certain amount of dysphoria? An incongruency between how God has designed us and what he says and who he says we are and how we actually live and see ourselves. And so our job as Christians, what do we do with that, right? Because here's the cultural trend. The cultural trend is this. If there's a war going on between mind and body, we should change the body. Right? Change the body. And, and there's a lot of different ways to change your body, whether through a, a surgery or, or different kinds of hormones, and like change the body. But the Bible tells us if there's a war going on between mind and body, we change our mind. This is called the renewing of our minds, taking our thoughts captive. And here's the, you need to hear me on this. God help me to show compassion, and for you to hear my heart and hear God's heart, this is so dang hard. If it was that easy, it's just like, just change your mind. We would all be way better people than we are. Can we just agree? It is not so simple as just like, hey, go do better. You know how simple my sermons would be if that's all it took? I'd get up here for two seconds. Hey, stop the bad stuff. Do the good stuff. Peace. Out. Like, my job would be so simple, but it doesn't work that way, does it? And it doesn't work that way for someone who's dealing with this issue. But we have to understand the purpose isn't to change the body, it's to change the mind. Imagine a young teenager comes in and you're a doctor and she says, I have anorexia. When I look at myself in the mirror, I just see this person that's way overweight and I hate my body. What can you do for me? And Let's imagine the doctor says this, says, hey, well, we're going to get you liposuction, right? We're going to get you some surgeries. We will fix your body so that you feel like you look awesome. You would say, fire that doctor, right? Fire that doctor, right? No, that would be terrible advice. You would say, no, let's get you some, some counseling. Let's get you around healthy people who have been through what you've been through. Let's get you into community. Let's help you align the way you see yourself with who you actually are. I went to somebody's house recently, and uh, in their bathroom, on the mirror, were these words. This is a good body. I thought, that's, that's good. Don't we all deal with that? And some of you ladies in the room, you're like, I don't have gender dysphoria, but I hate my body, you know? And, and I just know this is a real thing that we deal with, and yet at the same time, our journey isn't just to like, well, if I can just fix it, I'll feel okay. No, there's a journey of aligning our minds with who we really are, and Again, I want you to hear me. This is everybody's fight. Maybe you've heard it described this way. This is the tension between flesh and spirit. There's the spirit of God, the heart of God, the Holy Spirit speaking into you and through you, and then there's the flesh always there drawing us away from God's best for our lives. And we're on this lifelong journey of sanctification, which is being made holy, which is literally the journey of aligning our bodies, who we are, how we live, with who God says we are, our minds. It's a lifelong journey. And, and you will do this for the rest of your life in every part of your life, right? Like if you're married, are you naturally monogamous and never look at anybody else? Is that, you're like, oh, of course not. I'm, I'm just saying, like, do you ever have thoughts? Do you ever struggle with lust? This is a journey that you have to submit yourself to. If you have money, are you naturally generous? Most of us are not naturally like, I want to just give everything away. It's like, this is a journey of submitting 
the reality of my life to the heart of God, the flesh to the spirit. So the question you should be asking if you're a follower of Jesus, and I hope, I just really hope that this is our question as a church family, is how can we show love to someone who is dealing with transgenderism or, or gender dysphoria? Like, this is the heart of Jesus, right? How do we show love to someone? I think there's a couple of categories, and the first is, is this person a non-believer? Are they not even a Christian? Because the way you engage with that person is different than if they are a believer. If they are not a Christian, I want you to, you've got to hear our heart as a church family. And it's this, it's that our goal is not to help non-Christians act like Christians. Our goal is, it, is to introduce people to Jesus, Amen. You can start to amen now, by the way. If you're like, okay, can I talk? Is it okay? You can talk. You can, whatever. That is our heart. And honestly, like that's what matters most. What matters more than does this person know Jesus? That is the, that is the question. That is the most important question. And unfortunately, what we've tended to do is to run from the people that Jesus would run towards. I mean, God help us if we as a church run from the people Jesus would run towards. I mean, we have totally missed his heart if that's who we are. In fact, here's what the reality is, is that the Bible doesn't say that we should disassociate with non-Christians who sin, but it is pretty clear and harsh in the way that it says that we should disassociate with Christians who operate in unrepentant sin. Who it's, like, and it's, it's anything, like the Bible's pretty clear, like, is somebody a gossip? You should probably be careful being around them. And yet we've isolated certain sexual issues and been like, well, if that person struggles with this, we should avoid them. But we're, we're right up next to developing relationship with Christians who wander into all kinds of things and we're like, well, that's, that's okay because it's not on the news. And so we got to understand that reality. The other side of things is if they're a believer and they're struggling with their gender, what do we do? First, if this is you and you're struggling sexually, we talked about this verse last week, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a, pl- with a price. Listen to this. So glorify God in your body. Hear me, if you're a Christian and you're struggling with your gender, struggling with your sexuality, understand this. You have an opportunity, like everybody else in the room, to glorify God with your body. Everybody does. This is an invitation for all people. What does it mean to glorify God with my body? It means to align my life with God's design for me. It's to look at the way God designed me, not to trust my feelings or my emotions or whatever's on the the latest TikTok trend, but to go, what does the Word of God say? Because I'm believing that that's going to lead to the most flourishing possible in my life. It also means this. You've got to understand that you're not in a worse place with God than anybody else in the room. Does that make sense? Like, you got to get this. The gender confusion in and of itself is not sin. But what you do with those impulses can be. And everybody else in the room, if this isn't you, you got to understand this reality. Because there has been a divide there. It's no different than if you struggle with lust, the struggle is not the sin. What you do with the struggle is. Does that make sense? The fact that you maybe till the day you die will struggle with certain, you might have the struggle with anger right? Maybe you've got it right now in church. I don't know. You've got the, str- the struggle isn't sin. What you do with the impulse is. And so if that's you, understand, man, you're not in a worse place than anybody else in the room. We are all 
desperately in need of grace, right? Desperately needing God's love to, to lead us into better things, and you are not in a worse place. If you're here and you're like, what do we do with people that are Christians that are struggling with this? I want to give you three things. The first is repentance. Jesus says, hey, why don't you start by taking the log out of your own eye before you deal with the speck in somebody else's? If you're here and you're like, man, I can't stand transgender people and people that struggle with this, but you're watching pornography at home, you should probably deal with your pornography issue. You should probably like deal with the log in your own eye before you start to deal with that issue in someone else's. The second thing is trust. Make a friend. Develop a relationship. Like actually get to know them. And the third part of this is formation. This is take the journey, the long road with somebody. You see, too often Christians, here's what they want to do. They want to make statements. In fact, people will come to me and they go, Brian, what is our stance on this issue? People love stances. Here's why I think people love stances is because we would rather make a stance than make a disciple. We'd rather make a statement than make a disciple. We'd rather launch a email grenade of what God's word says than actually go to coffee with that person. Can I just, you got to hear me. That's not the heart of Jesus. Like you can have deep grounded beliefs and we do. And I can share with you, and hopefully even in this sermon, you're like, I know what they believe. But that's not the issue. The issue is like, how do we leverage what we believe in order to love the people around us? That's what Christ would do. And so repentance, trust, and formation enter into the long journey with someone and invite them into God's design for them. For you, you need to understand that if you're struggling with this, like, can I invite somebody into that because it is not PC? to say that, that you shouldn't follow your emotions. I want, I want to empower you as a follower of Jesus. It's not loving to stay silent at some point. It's not loving just to go like, hey, it's cool. Everybody is fine with that, even if it's destroying them. In fact, Nancy Piercy says this, why is it considered acceptable to carve up a person's body to match their inner sense of self, but bigoted to help them change their sense of self to match their body? Feelings can change, but the body is an observable fact that does not change. It makes sense to treat it as a reliable marker of your sexual identity. So I want you to lean in and to have those conversations with people. And if you're in the room, I just I want to talk to parents for a moment. The first thing I have to say to you as parents is this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Can I, I am a parent. Let me just tell you, my fear does not make me a great parent. Anytime I'm operating out of fear, I do not parent my children well. Do not be afraid. And also, do not buy the lies. The truth is that this is a big problem. In fact, the current statistic is that 50% plus of transgender people commit suicide. So this is a part of our world that needs help and compassion. But do not buy the lie that if you don't affirm their chosen gender identity, that you are responsible for their, their depression or potentially their suicide. That is manipulation, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. And here's the thing you need to hear this, is that you can love someone and not affirm their decisions. How do we know that? Because that's what Jesus does for all of us. Do you know that Jesus loves you, and I promise you, he does not affirm everything you think or do? Jesus loves me, and I promise you, he does not affirm everything I think or do. So I want to give you two things as a parent. First, boldly and graciously love your children into God's design for their sexuality and gender. 
boldly and graciously. Love them into it. Have conversations. Don't make it so awkward. Just have the conversation. Create a space of trust for that. The second thing is this. Be free from the shame that would say that having a relationship with them is full affirmation for their decisions. Once again, that's what Jesus does with you. It's what he does with me. And lastly, you might be here and part of the LGBTQIA plus community and wonder if God could ever love you. And you're like, Brian, I don't even know where to begin at this point. And I want you to hear me. God loves you. You might, you might be thinking, do I have to figure this out to come to Jesus? Hear me on this. You don't have to figure this out to come to Jesus. You don't clean yourself up before you take a shower, right? You take a shower to get cleaned up. That's what Jesus does. He changes you, but he wants you right where you're at. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So do you have to stop struggling with this issue to come to Jesus? No, come to Jesus and pray that he would set you free from anything you struggle with. And I promise you, you will enter into a journey of that with him. I'll close with this, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. This is a word for you if you're struggling with this. He says, and such were some of you. He's talking about these different sin struggles in people's lives. He says this, don't miss this, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You are made clean by Jesus and not by your behavior. You're made clean by Christ alone. And so I want to ask us some questions in the room, and here's the deal. I want you to talk back to me, okay? I want you to answer out loud with the one answer that's always the right answer in church, and it's Jesus. That's always the right answer. Ready? So I'm going to ask you some questions. Respond back with Jesus. First, who does the washing? Who justifies sinners before a holy God? Jesus. What's the answer when we ask why we should be allowed into heaven? Jesus. What right do we have to be called children of God? Jesus. Who does the saving? Jesus. Who does the changing? Jesus. Whose identity defines us? Jesus. By what name can anyone in the room stand confidently before a holy, loving, and just God? What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. He is why we come to God boldly, not because we're holy because he is holy. And so this is why identity matters so much. Come on. That you understand that you're not defined by what you've done, but by what he's already done. And we get to take on the holiness of Christ. The Bible says that your sins are made white as snow and they're as far as the east is from the west. And man, in in Christian circles, we can say those things and minimize that reality or apply them to ourselves and not to the person sitting next to us. We will be a church that deeply loves people into God's design for them in every way. Amen? Amen. So I want to invite you to take a step today on your seat for some action steps, and uh, I encourage you to fill this out, if you would. Uh, We just want to be praying for you specifically by name this week. We're not going to spam you. We do this every single week, and maybe you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, and you walked in here, and you're like, Brian, I thought I had to fix this to begin to follow Jesus. And the thought that you could just start to follow him right where you're at is so exciting for you. And I I just, man, I want you to check that box and let you know, man, heaven is going nuts for you today. And we're celebrating with you if you're stepping into a relationship with Jesus, no matter where you've come from this morning. Maybe you would say, I want to offer my body up to God. You, you, if you're honest, you're like, I have trusted God with a lot of things, but not my sexuality. And today I'm, I'm going to say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to trust that you designed me, you've made me, and so you know how I 
can live best. And so maybe you're here saying, I want to begin a new friendship. You have lobbed a lot of truth bombs over the fence, but you've never sat down for coffee with someone. I want to encourage you to do that. The Holy Spirit's saying, yeah, that's you. Um, you don't make disciples, you make points. And so it's time to make a disciple. And maybe you're here saying, I just need some help. I don't know where to begin. I'm a parent uh, that's dealing with a child or I'm personally dealing with this and I don't, I haven't talked to anybody. Would you please talk with someone this week? If you don't have an ACF group, that's where you need to go. That's where it needs to begin is in relationship. And so if you don't have one, we've got Colleen. She'll be out there and she'd love to help you find a group here today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the invitation into something better. And thank you, God, that you love us right where we are. Father, I just want to pray for the people in this room. God, I know that we're all struggling with things differently. And yet, Father, you are familiar with our suffering and our struggle. You've seen our journey. You've never been surprised by any impulse we've ever had. And yet, God, you, God, you deeply love us. So, God, I pray we could receive that love in a deeper way that would motivate us to step forward in what is good and true this week. Help us to love better, God. Help us as a church to love better and to love people into your design for them. Thank you, God, for your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.